There's a man who was a um, hot air balloon enthusiast, and uh, so he was on a, a journey uh, to meet someone, and uh, he realized he was lost. And so he reduced the altitude and spotted a woman below. So he descended a bit more and shouted, Excuse me, ma'am, can you help me? You see, I've promised a friend I would meet him an hour ago, but I don't know where I am. And the woman below replied, You're in a hot air balloon hovering approximately 30 feet above the ground. You're between 40 and 41 degrees latitude and between 59 and 60 degrees west longitude. He said to her, you must be an engineer. She said, yes I am, how did you know? Well answered the balloonist, everything you told me is technically correct, but I have no idea what to make of your information. And the fact is, I'm still lost. Frankly, you've not been much help to me at all. If anything, you delayed my trip. Then the woman below responded, You must be in management. I am, replied the balloonist, but how did you know that? Well, said the woman, you don't know where you are. You don't know where you're going. You have risen to where you are due to a large quantity of hot air. You made a promise that you cannot keep. You have no idea. You expect people beneath you to solve your problems. The fact are you are exactly in the same position you were before you met me and now for some reason you think it's my fault. If there's engineers here today, we apologize. And if there's managers here today, listen closely. <laughs> the question is, how does it help anyone if we start blaming people for getting too technical? Or even disappointments we feel. Can we be less hysterical? Citing every infraction, feeling every slight as an offense, punishable by death. The answer given by these two people to each other are not, the answers are not appreciated for the information. When you're putting a message together, one of the difficult things to do is to have a title. Because you want something that's going to kind of give us a little bit of a grasp for what's coming. And so I worked on this and I come up with this. Uh, the title is, and I'm assuming that everybody in here knows Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, because that's where I'm directing this today, as we encourage one another in our Christian walk. The title is, Saved to the Uttermost. Saved to the Uttermost. I could have said, Saved to the Highest Degree, that would have the same uh, meaning, or Saved to the Utmost, the Chosen saved to the uttermost. I want to speak about salvation. I want to speak about what we are saved from and what we are saved to. The instructions we see, we receive is from a very reliable source. It's called the Holy Word of God, written by holy men 
inspired by God's Holy Spirit. So it is first and foremost trustworthy. The instruction received are reliable source from the Bible. It's not just uh, technically correct, but has instructions on how to live out the information that it contains. <coughs> when we were first saved, Don and I and another couple went to Florida, and I'd only been a Christian for about probably three months. And uh, it was one of my best trips to Florida. I've had about five, I think. And the reason was is that I recognized what God has saved me to and also what he has saved me from. And all I wanted to do in Florida was play 18 holes of golf in the morning and sit around a pool and read the scriptures all afternoon. The evening we would go out and eat and do the tourist thing. That lasted for two weeks. Coming back, there was a man sitting alongside of me and he noticed me reading the Bible and he said to me, uh, I noticed you have your Bible opened uh, and you're reading it. Uh, what value was that for you? So I said, well, I guess I'm supposed to give my testimony. I didn't say too much to him. But I, I just told him that once you receive Christ as your personal Savior, you can't seem to get enough. And I just wanted to get everything I could get. He was a sociologist, and he lectured all around the world. He was going to McGill University, and his purpose of the trip was to lecture to the students there who were entering into sociology. So we got chatting away. He was, a, he was a somber man, very sincere type person. And he told me that he had been in South America quite a bit, uh, helping people down there. And I said to him, I only have one question. Uh, in your travels and in your experience dealing with people, who are the happiest people that you've come across? The rich or the poor? And he thought about it for a minute and a half, and he said to me, the poor. And that went well with me because I was poor. <laughs> but self-sufficiency, I have some questions for you. You don't have to answer if you don't want. But what does it mean to be saved? Now, in all probability, some of you saying are saying in your minds, to be saved is to go to heaven when we die. And guess what? You're right. Or uh, saving of the soul for eternal life with God. Yeah, you're right in that one too. But what about the rest of us? What about our bodies? What about our minds along with our soul? And what about the present times we live in? In salvation, God has something more robust in mind than just an afterlife. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. But the Bible tells us we are to be rejoicing in the very presence in which we are in. And salvation and God's wholeness is concerned about the whole purpose. And as I said earlier, it encompasses the body, the mind, and soul. We are saved by grace through faith. We agree with that. 
Saving faith is also about shaping that individual into the person that God wants us to be. And let me tell you some exciting news. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's continual. I love that chorus from glory to glory is changing me into Christ-likeness every day. Because the older I get, the more I'm content I'm feeling about being a son of God and more excited when he is doing something in my life. When he corrects me, he still has to correct me. You guys thought I was all perfect, but no, no I'm not. And he's corrected me along the way, and so that tells me that he still has a great interest in me, and he's not finished with his work in me. And I find that adventurous. And salvation uh, is uh, about the whole person. Saved by grace, we agree with that. Saving grace by faith and shaping us as individuals is to be disciples of Christ and to love God. And here's the secret. To love God with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our heart, with all our strength. And that's what leads us into the abundant life promised in Scripture. It's our reason for rejoicing in the present day. In Romans, the author writes, God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? You know, uh, the world wants to present God as a giant Santa Claus with a connection where we can make all our requests and ask for his blessings to be directed upon us in everything we do. But by the way, God, uh, you, you just stay over there because uh, I'll run my life and uh, you just help me when I need help. And, and by the way, I'll call upon you. Let's look a little closer to what Christ did. He died for us. He went to a cross. And sometimes we stop there, even as Christians, and we say, I'm saved by God's grace through faith. But we need to move from that cross. We need to move to the resurrected Christ Jesus. We need to move to that Pentecostal experience on the day of Pentecost. We need to move there. So we're saved by faith, Yes, for eternity. Yes, to spend time with God in heaven forever and ever. But we're also saved from God's wrath. You see, there's two sides to the coin to salvation. There's God's grace through faith, which is freely given to us. And then there's God's judgment, where he will judge us on the choices that we make while we are here on earth. So some people say, well, he's a cruel God. No, he's just respecting your decisions. Whatever your decisions are, that's what we will be confronted with when we meet God for the judgment. So God has a wrath, and but that's we are saved from that through Christ Jesus. Now, sometimes we in ourselves will suffer remorse. I know I do. I suffer disappointments, and sometimes I suffer shame. And the Bible tells me you're not supposed to live there. Your sins have been forgiven. The past is the past. We're living for the present and the future and we're, and we're moving forward in this thing called discipleship of Christ Jesus. So live in the present with that understanding. 
And now and then sometimes I even blame other people. And I even judge them for harms that they might have done to me down through the years. But God says, don't do that. The Bible says, don't do that. Don't live there. Because all that does is build up an anger in us that causes like a cancer to eat away at the joy that God has for us in the present, very present day. Well, we know we are saved by his death unto salvation. Are we cognitive that we are all saved from my life, by his life from the wrath of God? Do we think of that? We're saved from the wrath of God. And salvation is about saving us from things that destroy. And we're going to go to slide two. This is the scripture I've selected for today. It's Ephesians 5, 8 and 9, and 15, 16. You can see it. Paul wrote in Ephesians, he said, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness. The fruit of the light lives in all righteousness. The fruit of the light lives in all truth. Now that little word all encompasses and focuses on salvation, but then there's a warning. And the warning is this. Be very careful in how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because of the days of evil. You know, the drag of life can defeat you if you're not careful. The things that happen to us sometimes, like this COVID issue, it's not pleasant. But we need to be careful that we don't let things like that rob us. Salvation is about life in God. With the Trinity holding it all together. We come to God for salvation, and it's He alone who can give us that through grace. Christ, He's there. He was the sacrifice, and He's the great teacher, and we're to emulate Him as His disciples. And then the Holy Spirit is our constant guide. We confess and come to the cross of Jesus, but as I said earlier, we're not to stay there. We must move to the resurrected, victorious life that God has for us. The resurrected, victorious life that God has for us. It's my story, and I've told it before, and you've probably heard it three or four times. But he took me, when we got saved, on and I at the same time. He took me and he said, uh, I've got a purpose for you. And... Uh, we're going to go in this direction. And uh, we did. And it's been quite a journey. I was at the dentist the other day. And I was uh, coming home. And, and I thought to myself, you know, I'm a blessed man. I am truly a blessed man. I have Christ as my Savior. I have a wife of 56 years coming up. We have two great children, seven great grandchildren. And uh, then I started looking at the little things that God has provided. <coughs> Don't tell anybody, but I got my cleaning done and the dentist didn't charge me. <laughs> That's a blessing. They want about 150 bucks. Right, Vanessa? 
then uh, you're not, you don't gather a lot of assets when you're a pastoral minister. Um, and that's a decision you make. You're going to be a servant, you're going to be a servant. And, uh, but when I look at the apartment that I have and the affordability of that apartment, I marvel at it. I drive a nice car. I uh, have good health. And the sun was shining that day. And I just took some time and expressed my gratitude to God for His goodness to me. It's quite easy, you know, um, to get dragged down and defeat. So that's why it's important once in a while just to stop and see what God has done for us and the victorious life he gives. I want to quote a man who learned this lesson very well. He was given the task of passing it on to us. His name is Paul. Paul knew the inside of more jails than many of his contemporaries, anyone else. And he suffered more, probably, than all the other disciples, maybe. Paul uh, wrote these words in Philippians. It was called his final exhortation. He said, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, you need to hear that and understand. He didn't say rejoice in everything all the time. He said rejoice in the Lord always. Because not all things are rejoiceable. We do have issues we run up against, but we have God on our side to deal with those issues. He said, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He said, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What is the opposite of things that are right? It's things that are wrong. What's the opposite of things that are pure, things that are impure? What is the opposite of things that are lovely, ugly? What is admirable? Anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Think about such things, Paul says. And I think I heard this this morning in your Sunday school class. Whatever you learn or receive or hear from me or see in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. What are you thinking about? What occupies your mind during your work week or your school week or your day-by-day -day routines? Is it praiseworthy things? Is it anxiety? Is it anxiety? Is it things that are right? Is it things that are not right? What do you do? You have control over that. You have control. And with God's Holy Spirit, you have that control and you can stop periodically and just take a look around you and count your blessings one by one and you will see what the Lord has done and you will truly living, be living in joy. Okay, now, just don't read this as a treasure trove and leave it on the shelf. You've got to try it out 
You're going to see the experience and the results. You know, when we look at uh, uh, where we are in our maturing process, um, sometimes I remember as a younger man where older people said, you need to be here in your spiritual walk. No, no, no. I need to be where I am because God meets me where I am. Give me an opportunity to grow to where you are because I want to experience that growth, you see. And so we're not saying that you're, you're here right now. But if, if you're here or here, there's still room to grow. Experience that. Why don't you try that this week? If you're having some problems with some issues, why don't you just say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop. And I'm just going to give God praise. And I, I'm just going to uh, let, I'm just going to bask in His love and the knowledge that I have of Him. And I'm going to rejoice and experience a peace that surpasses my understanding. Experience it. The great commandment, of course, is to love God with all our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. And Jesus added to that, your neighbor as yourself. That's the foundation. The foundation is love leading to the abundant life. And that's how it comes. It comes through loving and putting people ahead of yourself in lack of selfishness. You know, when I think of what I've been saved to, one thing that I think about that I've been saved from is selfishness. I want what was good for me. And that's a terrible place to live. I wanted what was good for me. And as I reflected upon this, and I did hear a preacher somewhere along the line say something of this nature, and I said, yeah, that's so true. He said, when Satan tempted Eve in the garden, he didn't say to Eve, you don't need to worship God, come and worship me. Now when you read that account, and uh, well, why don't I read it to you? It's just a short account that I will look at here. It's in Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was very crafty then, more crafty than any other wild animal the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, or you will die. So then Satan says to her, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, if that your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he didn't say, I'm not telling you not to worship God, but what I'm telling you, this is an awful lot more for you if you take control in your own hands and it's all a lie. Because selfishness is a terrible place to live. It's a terrible place to live. So Paul found contentment and he experienced these things that he talks about. He said whether free or slave, he was both. <coughs> whether hungry or well-fed, he was both. Whether closed or naked, he was both. He said, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content. <coughs> what changed Paul was an encounter on the road to Damascus. 
where Jesus, when he Paul was actually on his road to go and destroy Christians, put them in jail, kill them, do what he had to do, make sure the church didn't get established. But on the road to Damascus, he met Jesus. And Jesus prepared him through that experience to teach us through his experiences to be content, to live in a rejoicing state. Major parts of the concrete process that God has in store for us is contentment, rejoicing in all things. You might say, well, you don't know the drag that life has on me, and how am I able to rejoice in all things? The student might say, you are, when you're writing an exam, you might say, ah, oh, man, the pressure. Now, in all probability, the pressure came from your procrastination and not getting ready for the exam. That happened to me in college. But here's how you can think. This is leading me to a higher level. This is me, me, leading me to the next stage. I hated fine arts. And either you made an A or a D in fine arts. Everybody that was in the class, my brother, he made an A plus. I made a D minus. But I got into some other things. The point is, I stood there and I thought, why am I wasting my time doing this? And you know, I understand I was 36 when I went to college and graduated at 41. So I thought, you know, i got to get on with life. But you know, it was beautiful uh, going through Winnipeg and see all the ornate structure. Winnipeg is a very historical, cultural city. And there were so many things that I said, I can recognize it, I can recognize it, I can recognize it. I could never before. So oh, that's pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty. I could put a name on it then because I had to take that course. So learning, writing exams, rather than getting all stressed out over it, say, this has taken me to the next level in my journey in life. Fishermen trying to catch fish in this cold and dreary weather and the sea is violent and they can't go out. Or a farmer plowing in the fields and recognizing that he's under time constraint to get the seed prepared. Don't think on those things and be debilitated. Thank God you're able to work. There's people that can't work. And yes, we'll have ups and downs. Of course we will. But our citizenship's in heaven and God is saying, I want you to live on a higher ground as Christians. And you know what? That was the greatest testimony uh, about Christ in your life. Living in the midst of these things and being able to say, I am content. Slide three. And this is uh, my conclusion, Prince team. When we receive Jesus as our personal Savior, He brings a friend with Him. And the friend is the Holy Spirit. When we take Jesus into our life, the Wesleyan or Arminian theology teaches it this way. We receive a deposit of the Holy Spirit. And as we open our hearts and our lives to Him, more activity is taken on by the Holy Spirit. It's a crisis experience to be able to say, Jesus, I want you as my Lord. We want him as our saviors because that's an escape from hell, escape from God's wrath. But when we let Jesus be the savior of our life, then the scripture that says, I have a plan for you 
it starts getting fulfilled. And, uh, and then as we grow and open ourselves up to God, uh, more of God's Spirit controls our lives. And that's where we need to live. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And, you know, I, would, I have a suggestion for you. It's not that I'm not doing that great a job, but I get a copy of this slide. I think, can you print a copy of that slide for the, anybody that wants it? Probably so. Just let me go on over with you. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So let's look first. First of all, there's love. Everything uh, comes from this love. So what is love? It's an adoration, an affection, a friendship to God first. And then from that, when we get into that point, and which is the great commandment, and of course Jesus added to that to love your neighbor as yourself, when we get into that mode, things like joy come. And joy is the condition that leads to happiness. Paul said in Galatians, peace comes. That's a state of mind leading to calmness, even in troubled times. Kindness, as my dad used to say, costs you nothing. But it leads to compassion for others. Helpfulness is goodness doing unto others. Faithfulness brings contentment and believability. Gentleness is tenderness towards others, and self-control is proper direction. Letting God lead. Salvation is not just about when we all get to heaven with a day of rejoicing that will be, or in a sweet by and by. It concerns the whole purpose. It encompasses the body, it encompasses the mind, and it encompasses the soul and the present days we live in. God bless you, praise the incoming.